always have to get the microphone situation taken care of. Am I good? That little green one. All right. Well, thank you, Pastor Lee, for graciously allowing me to come to speak. Um, every church, I like to say, uh, every church is a different flavor of ice cream, you know. Um, I've got several churches that have graciously supported me, but this one is very special to me because of just the memories I have of this church. Um, I, look, I look across and I see people that have been very influential in my life, um, like people that have had me when I was really young, um, and of course my grandparents. I remember the Lambs, I remember the Tinals, and of course I remember my good friend Evan. You know, he's been in some ways like the Jonathan to my David. Um, and so I'm, I am still kind of attached to this place, very nostalgic here. Uh, so I appreciate being able to share, to come back after receiving some training to show you some of the needs of the lost in other places. So without further ado, I'm going to start um, showing you a little bit about the ministry I'll be going on, and then we'll get into the message. Um, so first, I'm going to show you guys a video. Alaska, the last frontier, the land of the midnight sun, the 49th state, the North Star State, Russian America. Alaska derives its name from the Aleut word, Alyeska, which means the great land. And so it is. Alaskans enjoy great mountain peaks, great abundance in wildlife, great oil and logging industries, and great fishing. But not too many people know the great need of the gospel that is in Alaska. I'm Luke Davidson, cross-cultural service major at Bob Jones University and summer missionary intern to Alaska, the great land. I was saved when I was eight years old, attending a Christian camp. While growing up as a cadet in the Civil Air Patrol, I was set to join the Air Force as an Air Force pilot. However, God started calling me to preach while I was in high school. So I am enrolled at Bob Jones University as a missions major, not yet knowing where God will lead me, but I am still confident that God is calling me to preach His gospel. Making disciples of all nations. So let our prayer earnestly be, here am I, Lord. So why Alaska, of all places? During my freshman year, I preached weekly at a nursing home, visiting its residents, one of whom was a retired missionary from Alaska. And she sobbed about the great need of the gospel there. And she prayed daily that God would send laborers into such a needy field. And it was at that point, I felt God tapping me on the shoulder. And I was thinking, could God want me to go to Alaska? Additionally, ever since God started preparing me for the ministry, I developed a strong burden to expand and pioneer the gospel in regions with staggering potential. And so I researched Alaska, its people, its culture, its geography, its religions. And I realized Alaska has a great need for the gospel. The population in Alaska totals almost 740,000. While this number seems negligible compared to statistics found in the 1040 window, 
Hundreds of villages in Alaska are completely cut off from the road system, making them accessible only by boat or by plane, causing hundreds of villages to be completely cut off from the influence of the gospel. The Pew Research Center says that 62% of adults claim to be Christian, but that includes several faiths. The Catholic Church and the Russian Orthodox Church hold great influence in the Christian sector. There are also other faiths, such as the Mormon Church or the Jehovah's Witnesses. Only 22% of the population claims to be evangelical Protestant. The people of Alaska are diverse. Some are natives, while others are tourists. Some are athletes, but some are also workers in the oil, logging, and fishing industries. While there is a great diversity to the people in Alaska, there's also a great hardness to the gospel. As America's final frontier, Alaska draws to itself people who are self-reliant, resilient, and strong-willed. They must be convinced of their need for Jesus before they believe, so often gospel work is slow. But God is still at work drawing men and women to himself like fish in the Alaskans' fishing nets. Mike and Jeanette Clark have been serving with Baptist Mid Missions in Alaska for 12 years now, and they've seen firsthand how God is one by one drawing men and women to himself. In partial fulfillment for my missions program, I'm interning with the Clarks this summer for six weeks, from the beginning of June to the middle of July in Iliamna, assisting them in their vacation Bible school, flying out to villages, visiting contacts and conducting Bible studies, giving my testimony and a devotional for the youth, and preaching in Iliamna Baptist Chapel. I will also be involved in several other work projects, including maintenance of Pastor Clark's aircraft, maintenance of Baptist Mid-Missions property, subsistence fishing, and construction of a new aircraft hangar. Once completed, this aircraft hangar will expand the Clark's ministry, helping them reach more of the hundreds of villages that are still without the gospel. Therefore, I'd like to ask for your support. First, I am raising the necessary funds for me to complete my internship. I'm raising funds from churches to go to Baptist Mid-Missions to help cover my costs while I'm with the Clarks the entire time. I'm also raising funds from individual donors that will help cover my costs for airfare and my time in Anchorage before and after I am with the Clarks. Whatever funds are not used, I'm going to set aside for future seminary training following graduation. In addition, I work security at Bob Jones University's Department of Public Safety. I'm using some of these earnings from this job to raise funds. Secondly, I'm in need of your prayers. Please pray that God will make me teachable and eager to serve in any way possible. Pray also that I may demonstrate Christ's love to anybody I meet. And lastly, pray that God will develop me spiritually and make me sensitive to the needs of the lost in Alaska. My objectives are simple. First, I hope to gain invaluable experience on how to conduct mission work in a culture different from my own. Second, I hope to gain greater knowledge of how God will use me long-term in full-time ministry, whether or not it's in Alaska. Although Alaska is a great land of great need, Alaska is also a great land of great opportunity for the gospel to advance. God is slowly, one by one, opening the doors and hearts of men and women 
lost in Alaska. I look forward to partnering with you to advance the gospel in Alaska, the great land. Hi, I'm Jeff Hawkey, pastor of Grace Baptist Church. It's been such a delight to get to know Luke Davidson over the past couple of years as he's been attending here while a student at Bob Jones University and he has since become a member of our church. Luke has a very strong testimony for Christ. He's a sincere and earnest young man with a strong desire to use his gifts and abilities for the glory of the Lord. Short-term missions is a wonderful way for a young person to learn more about Christian ministry and missions work to get exposed to different aspects of ministry, to learn a lot of things about ministry and about people and certainly about themselves, and maybe to be able to envision how the Lord might use them in some capacity in the future. We'll be praying for Luke during his mission trip this summer. I hope that you will. All right, so I'm at 117%. Don't give me money. I'm good. I'm all set, but I need your prayers. Um, Charles Spurgeon once said, the best thing you can do for me is to pray for me. And that's certainly true for me as well. Um, whatever you are thinking about giving me, monetarily speaking, turn that into prayers. If you are going to give me $1, give me 100 prayers for every single cent that you're going to invest. All right, um, so I'm at 117%. If that's not a blessing from God, nothing is. Um, so the breakdown of my, of, of my support has come largely from churches, and I believe that's the way it ought to be. I believe that's a New Testament model, especially when you look at uh, Paul bringing gifts to Jerusalem and bringing gifts to other places. Uh, so my, a lot of my funds came from churches, but it also came from individual donors, and a little red sliver, that's like my personal earnings. Well, it looks like I didn't really need to bring anything in for my personal earnings. Uh, nonetheless, I have used some of that for uh, purchasing and printing off prayer cards and uh, buying supplies, uh, such as new shoes, waterproof shoes, because it rains there a lot in Alaska. I've been told you don't want to skimp out on your rain gear, so I'm going to heed that advice. Now, so my first check, it was amazing. I was actually uh, I was at Bob Jones University in October, and I, was, I visited with some friends that were down here down there uh, for, for a special day. I was just talking with them, yeah, I'm going to be going to Alaska this summer. Then at the end of the conversation, the lady hand, handed me a check. I thought, wow, I didn't expect that. And just since then, it's just, just one by one, the Lord's been touching people's hearts, and I'm without words for that. You know, this is something that only God could have done. And so all glory goes to him. Now, um, this is just for stewardship purposes. I'm showing you what I'm using the money for. Um, so Baptist Mid-Missions required me to raise a certain amount that they will send to the missionaries. So that's the amount that uh, the churches raise. Now for individual donors, they uh, help me raise money for these things. Airline ticket, it's not cheap. But I tried to do the cheapest option possible to fly out of Minneapolis instead of from Detroit or from South Carolina. And uh, I also have brake repair. Um, cars are not cheap. Uh, my car is going through various problems. In fact, I need to take it into the shop tomorrow to deal with another issue. 
So um, I asked my home church, Berean Baptist Church, down in Belleville, Michigan, if I could use some of those funds to kind of help out with those expenses. They graciously allowed me to do so. There's also supplies that I was purchasing. There's also still an expense, um, funds that are still not yet used. I'm going to be buying supplies in Alaska because my bag can only weigh 50 pounds. It's at 47, so I just barely made it. Yeah. So my itinerary, will that video work? Yes. So I'm departing from Minneapolis, going out to Alaska. You'll see various points on this map, maybe. It's a little hard to see. But I'll be flying into Anchorage. That's in the south region of Alaska. It's right inside the Cook Inlet. And once I land there, I'm going to be at Wasilla because the team, everybody from Baptist Mid Missions in Alaska, they're meeting there for the team meeting, their yearly team meeting. It's in Wasilla. Actually, I have a coworker uh, that's from Wasilla. So after that, I imagine I'll be going back to Anchorage before we fly out. We're going to fly out in a small Piper aircraft. Not as small as a Piper Cub, but still, it's a small aircraft, and we're going to be going to the bush. Um, the place I'll be staying at for most of my ministry there will be Iliamna, um, named after Iliamna Lake. I'll be visiting other places as well in the bush, such as Levalock. So this is going to be deeper, uh, kind of outside of civilization. But once I'm done with my ministry there, um, I'm going to be flying back out to a place called Sterling, Alaska, on the other side of the Cook Inlet, where I'll be preaching at a camp for three days. And once I'm done with that, I'll be going back to Alaska, or going back to Alaska. I'll be going back to Anchorage for a couple of days, and uh, right before I fly back out to Minneapolis. So that's my itinerary in a nutshell. If you look at my prayer card, um, it's in the back. If you look at my prayer card, you'll see a website. Um, I'll have my information posted there. I'm hoping to have weekly updates while I'm on the field. We'll see how the internet um, keeps up. So that's what's going on in a nutshell. Are there any questions before I move on with the message? Any questions? Yes? What do you anticipate to be your biggest challenge? Good question. Um, Probably, so Pastor Clark, he's going to have me preach at Iliamna Baptist Chapel. I'm not sure yet how to uh, format the messages to appeal to them. And when I say appeal, I'm not saying, you know, tickling of their ears like in First Timothy. What I'm saying is every culture there is, you, you want to present the gospel in a certain way. Like in an Eastern culture, you don't want to emphasize justice and being on time. It's more you want to focus on honor and shame and thinking about things more collectively. So I'm not sure yet how to uh, format the messages. Pastor Clark said, go ahead and write some outlines and you'll kind of get a feel. So I'm not sure. I'm thinking that would be the greatest challenge. Does that answer your question? Uh, any other good questions? Yes. Right, so um, in the bush, um, what, what that would refer to is pretty much anywhere in Alaska that's not connected to the road system. So there's not, I, as far as I know, there's not really going to be any cars there in Iliamna. I think our mode of transportation will be a four-wheeler. I'll have to learn. Last time I was on a four-wheeler was when I was four years old in Montana. Um, so I'll be learning how to do things that they would do in the bush. Pastor Clark, because he's in the bush, he, uh, he fixes everything for the natives because 
these people, all they do, they, they really just fish and drink and they just do nothing else. There's a huge alcohol problem. And there's, uh, there's a huge suicide rate as well. And so what these people need to be taught is their life has a value. Um, and so, yes, there will be some things that we'll be doing for the people there. Um, and we'll, I'll also be learning how people survive in the bush, such as fishing um, and learning how to make do without certain provisions that we have. Um, like for me, a workable cell phone because Verizon has no service out there. Does that answer your question? All right. Um, anyone else? Yes. I'm not fully certain at the moment. Um, it's a smaller community of people. Um, I've been told there are some people that are Eskimo. Uh, that would be more Alaska Native. Um, there are people there with uh, the, Alax uh, the Alaska taxi service, air taxi service. Um, it's going to be peak salmon season. So there should be a lot of fishers there as well. I'm not fully sure um, who exactly. I haven't been able to do that type of research specifically in that area, just more Alaskan at large. Uh, does that answer your question? All right. Yes, go ahead. No. All American English. Yeah. Um, people are starting to come back to their native traditions because they're seeing the failings of the Russian Orthodox Church. Some people still do speak um, Central Alaskan Yupik, which is what they would speak there. Uh, but that's not necessarily their primary language. That's language that's slowly dying. But you know, I'll, I'll be able to just speak good old American, and I'm all good. You know. Um, anyone else? Yes, go ahead. Yes. Right. So I, I don't know if I heard everything fully. Um, so your question is essentially, so how do we intend to draw people away from you know, their, the, the issues of life that they're going through, such as alcoholism or suicide, and then draw them to the cross? Was that your question? What's that? All right. Um, 
with that, I have to say, I don't know yet. Um, that's part of what this internship's about. Uh, but, and, you know, the missionaries, they have been there for 12 years. And I asked them, so how's the Lord been working out there? He said, where to start? And that's pretty much all I had. I guess he has stories he wants to tell me when I'm there. So I don't fully know the answer to that question, but um, I'll keep you posted. Just look at my website. Um, I'm sorry, that's not a satisfactory answer. Any other questions? Are we all good to go? All right. So go ahead and turn to Ephesians as we start. The, uh, as you see, the title of, our mess, the, of the message today is, here we go, God's Family on Mission. And I like to start every message with a guiding question to get us on the right track. So the question is, what does our new life in Christ have to do with missions? Uh, because our new life in Christ is not just some kind of side issue. It's very key to the gospel. So what does our identity in Christ have to do with missions? We will answer that. But I kind of want to bring us through this line of fit thinking. So buckle up, hold on to your Bibles, and let's, let's get going here. So first we need to answer this question. What was our life outside of Christ? And so this is where we go to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we will go back to chapter 1, but we're going to start in chapter 2. What was our life before we were... What was our life outside of Christ? Nope. Oh, is that it? Yes. So, we were children of the devil. Now you're thinking, wow, how'd you get there? I'll tell you. Let's go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 2 and just follow along starting in verse 1. And you, Paul was saying to the Ephesian church, you hath he quickened, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. among whom also we had our conversation in all times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So how does that mean we're children of the devil? You know, that kind of sounds like an old-fashioned revivalist saying we were once children of the devil, and that is actually from the Bible. Where exactly? First, I want to give you guys an illustration. So up here I have a picture of my dad and my grandfather about to enjoy a nice bottle of Verner's, good old Michigan ginger ale. I miss that stuff when I'm in South Carolina. But you see the resemblance, you know? The skin tone maybe is about the same. Um, eye color, maybe the same facial expressions. Um, even maybe some of the same manner of speech. You see that resemblance. Now, another picture. It's my dad and me. You know, maybe we don't have the same uh, complexion fully, but I like to say, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. And what do I mean by that? I have a lot of the same expressions that he does. You know, I may not sell pianos, but nonetheless, when you see me doing what I do, uh, you do see some similarities. So you see similarities among family members. That's what I'm getting at. We need to understand that the devil himself is a sinner. First uh, John chapter 3 he says, uh, John says, he that committeth sin is of the devil. Why? It's because the devil sinneth from the beginning. The devil is a sinner from the beginning. And to be honest, the apostle John didn't get this from thin air. 
He saw Jesus. He was an eyewitness of everything that was happening. Uh, you see in John chapter 8, Jesus is confronting some of the Jews that were disbelieving him. And so Jesus said, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do not, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. And they answered him and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Well, Jesus said unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard from God. This did not Abraham. So God is a God of truth. Jesus is saying, you're not of the God of truth. You're of somebody else. Ye do the deeds of your father. And then he said, we be not born of fornication. So they're, they're trying to stab at him, trying to attack his credibility. We have one father, even God. The irony there is that was blasphemy. And then Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he that sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Yes. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. So I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you guys to imagine it like this. This is for sake of illustration. I'm not saying God looks like a circle. He created a circle. All right? I'm not making graving, graven image out of him. This is just for illustrative purposes. So you have God and the devil. So the devil, I'm representing with a diamond. He was disobedient. He was a sinner from the beginning. And he is destined for wrath. We know that in both Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. Well, the children of devil inherently are also disobedient. And they also are destined for wrath. You see that resemblance right there. So therefore, our life before we were in Christ was that we were disobedient children destined for wrath like our father, the devil. So that was our uh, new life, or that was our life outside of Christ. We were children of the devil. So, what is our life in Christ? What is our new life in Christ? Now we'll go back to Ephesians chapter 1. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll just start reading the passage from there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So now, again, we'll go back to this illustration here. So you have God. God is holy and blameless. Because, well, all holiness and blamelessness would have to originate from him. He possesses all the blessings in the heavenly places, because he kind of made them. He's God. And so the children of God, they are also holy and blameless, and they also possess those blessings in the heavenly places. So if you're a child of God, you inherit the same things that God does. If you're a child of the devil, you inherit the same things that the devil inherits. So I want you to look at it like this. What takes place? You have the children of the devil. They were disobedient, destined for wrath. What happens at the moment of salvation is that they are taken out of the family of the devil and then placed to the family of God by way of Jesus Christ. So now, 
they are made accepted in the beloved. And so they experience the same blessings that God has bestowed upon them. We were taken out of the devil's family and placed into the family of God. But what's the problem here? Well, we're not, we may be part of God's family, but are we holy and blameless yet? Raise your hand if you're completely holy. If so, talk to pastor. All right, I thought so. Yes. So we're not holy and blameless yet. No, we're not perfect yet. So let's go back to what we know. God is holy and blameless. He possesses those blessings in the heavenly places. And so we are also holy and blameless, and we also possess those blessings in the heavenly places as children of God. So what does that mean that children of God are possessing blessings in the heavenly places? Well, let's go to some other passages here. This is more like a New Testament systematic theology on missions. So children of God have an inheritance from God. All right. So Romans chapter 8, starting verse 14. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Paul is giving some assurance of salvation right here for, for the Romans. You know, we are saved. There's no more condemnation. Uh, who will bring a charge against God, God's elect? Because now we have the Spirit of God with us. So we walk by the Spirit, all right? So for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. This spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, heirs. Heirs with God and joint heirs with Christ, if be so that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So what blessings do the children of God inherit? Yes, all right. Now we go to Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, Titus was a young pastor at Crete. No, Cyprus. Yes, Crete. And uh, he, he was supposed to set things in order for Paul because Paul was at this point on his way to Rome as a prisoner. And so Paul was saying, we were once sinners. We were once a, a child of the devil. But now, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration the giving of new life and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, uh, which he hath shed abundantly on us through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being glorified, by, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All right, there we go. So God is holy and blameless. He possesses blessings in the heavenly places. One of those things is eternal life, regeneration, the giving of new life. But then you also have, really, um, the children of God. Well, you see, God has everlasting life. He is omnipresent. You know, he kind of made life. So you kind of have to be eternal to make something that is temporal. But the children of God, they are also holy and blameless and also possessing blessings in the heavenly places. Um, they will inherit eternal life. But why haven't we become holy and blameless yet? That's the question that we're trying to answer here. Well, it's, it's a process. We have to understand that. That's a process. It's called sanctification. Hebrews 12, uh, it's very clear. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying you know, to the Christians, do not go back to the Mosaic law. Cling to Christ. Keep to Christ. Uh, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. We like to... Th Sometimes we think, okay, discipline. I'm going to get the two-by-four. 
Well, not necessarily. Um, although for me, yeah, that was a common occurrence, I'll admit. But that's not necessarily just what discipline means. It's not punishment. There's a difference between punishment and discipline. Uh, punishment does help with discipline, but discipline has the idea of training and getting ready to and becoming like somebody. Discipline, disciple, important word, we'll get there. If ye endure this chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? See, part of being chastened by God is, you know, being loved by God. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof are, are you partakers, then ye are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh who, which corrected us. You know, it's natural for our fathers to want to correct us. At least for my father, he had to correct me a lot, you know. And we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Okay, we, so we're supposed to submit to our fathers, but how much more to our Heavenly Father, uh, who is trying to help us become holy and blameless? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised by, thereby. So again, this is a process. All right, so we are becoming holy and blameless. Well, when the, will that process end? Well, there's a Bible verse for that as well. Um, the theme here is salvation. You have justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification, we have been declared righteous before God. Sanctification is the process where that is becoming, um, where we are becoming how we are positionally before God. Glorification is when that process ends. And so 1 John, we go back to our good friend John, uh, chapter 3, verse 2. John is talking about the love of God here, the love that God has given to us. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We're not holy and blameless yet fully. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So what's going on here? So as you go through life, the Lord is taking off those rough edges, if you will, to make you more like Jesus Christ. But at the moment you enter eternity, you become perfectly holy and blameless, for you shall see Jesus Christ for, as he is. So once you, you enter eternity, that process of being holy and blameless ends. But you see... In Romans chapter 8, God says that we are glorified with Christ. Um, you can think of that as very definitively, it's a done deal, this will happen. So this isn't something you need to worry, will this happen or will this not? We will be totally conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So God is holy and blameless. He possesses those blessings in the heavenly places, such as eternal life. But in reality, you know, this holiness and blamelessness, it is part of those blessings of eternal life. And therefore, we as children of God also possess those blessings of the heavenly places, which is holiness and blamelessness and eternal life. So, what was our identity outside of Christ? We were children of the devil, destined for wrath, like the devil himself. But, as children of God, we inherit the blessings that God has bestowed upon us, which are becoming holy and blameless and inheriting eternal life. So that was our life, and before, that was our life, that is our life, my bad, in Christ. So now what does our new life in Christ have to do with missions? 
Okay, so we see that we are becoming like God because God is our Father. So how does this have to do with missions? That was our guiding question, after all. Well, since we are becoming like Christ, we are to follow Christ. Peter himself was a follower of Christ, and he said in his very own epistle, For hither unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. It's expected as children of God that we follow God the Son to become like God the Father. So what does it mean to follow Christ? We know we're supposed to follow Christ. What does it mean to follow him? We go to Mark chapter 1. Um, Jesus, this is the very beginning of his ministry. He's walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two men, Simon and Andrew. Uh, they're casting a net into the sea. Why? Well, they were fishermen. And Jesus said, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straight away, that's Mark's favorite word, straight away, uh, they forsook their nets, and they followed him. All right, so what does that mean? Be careful. Don't necessarily look at the Bible through Western eyes. Back then, following them didn't mean they went to JC 101 every day. They went to synagogue, JC 101 for an hour, and Jesus taught them, this is how you follow me. That's very Western. The disciples didn't merely just learn at the feet of a moral teacher. So then what does it mean to follow Christ if it doesn't mean that? Well, Jesus said it very clearly in Luke 14. If any man come, after, come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In Eastern culture, it's a collectivist culture, all right? We Americans, we like to say, all right, if I have to say goodbye to my siblings, I don't like that, but that's okay. How do I know? I've had to do that going down to South Carolina. But in, in Eastern culture, that's not necessarily the case. Your identity is tied with your family, your livelihood. Everything, you know, it's, it's tied with your family. And so you've got to be willing to forsake that because your identity isn't necessarily just with them. Your new life is in Jesus Christ. So, okay, the disciples did not merely learn at the feet of a moral teacher. They learned to become like their master. It wasn't just learning, okay, head knowledge. It was heart knowledge. I'm internalizing this, and I'm becoming like my teacher. That's what it meant to become a disciple. So how did they become like their master? How did they follow Jesus? Well, for one, we see that they had the same purpose as their master. How do we see that? Matthew 12, 49 through 50. Um, Jesus was speaking at, at a house, and somebody said, Hey, your mother and, and your siblings are here. He stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, and mother. So what was the purpose? Jesus' purpose was to fulfill the will of his Father. So how does this mean that disciples share the same, share Christ's purpose? Well, children of God are becoming like God, Okay. And that's part of sanctification, that new life in Christ that we, we have. So they will also become like God the Son, the only begotten of God, same kind. So Jesus is our example. Jesus is the perfect Son of God. So Jesus is like God, so we're supposed to be like Jesus Christ, who is like God. So now the question is, 
What was his purpose on earth? What was that will? It, well, it was to do the will of his father. And we see that with Luke twenty-two forty-two. He was in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So what was that will of his heavenly father? Now, we can say the will of God. What is that will? It's revealed throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. That's the will of God made known. That's the Word of God. He likes to speak to us. So what does God's Word say all throughout Scripture? You see, God, it's, it's always been His will to restore His fallen creation to Himself. That's what the entire Bible is all about. You know, you have first Genesis, the, the Abrahamic uh, covenant, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. But you have other passages like Psalm 67. The psalm writer said, God, be merciful unto us, and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us. Why? So that thy way may be known upon the earth and thy saving help among all nations. The purpose of Israel was to show their God, show who their God is. Many shall see and fear and put their trust in the Lord, another psalm says. And you also see it in the prophets. You have Malachi. At this point, Israel was being morally slack. They were being religiously slack. They were offering the spotted animals uh, before the Lord. But at the same time, they would offer the better things for their governors. And so Malachi uh, prophesied. He said, From the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my, God speaking, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name and, my, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. All throughout the Bible, God's name shall be great among all the nations. You see that very clearly in the Old Testament. And we have Acts. We know that's the traditional missionary book. Well, I want you to look at it like this. I hope this will make things very clear. God has been drawing sinners to follow him throughout all history. So God must be a disciple maker. He wants people to follow him, come into that relationship with him. But then you also have this. Jesus he followed the will of the Father by making followers of God. So Jesus is a disciple of the Father. Well, he's like God the Father. And he is also a disciple maker. So that is also how he's like God. He's a disciple maker. Jesus Christ, God the Son, is a disciple maker just like God the Father. All right. What does that make us? So then who are we? Children of God are also followers of Jesus Christ just as Jesus Christ was the follower of God the Father. And thus, we must also be disciple-makers if we are going to be like Jesus Christ. So our new life in Christ, our new life gives, in Christ gives us the privilege, yes, but also the responsibility to make disciples. So how do we do that in Royal Oak? How do you guys do that here? You guys know better than I do, but let me go ahead and offer some things. Um, but first... We'll look at the Great Commission. Um, one of those is Matthew 28. It's very famous. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you. 
So you have these two words, baptize and teach. If this church is making disciples of Jesus Christ, what you will see here is people getting baptized, people getting saved, and they will demonstrate that, obviously, by baptism. But then you'll also have, in this church, people teaching what the Word of God says, teaching what Christ had said. So, does this mean we have to leave America? You know, well, let's go to China. Well, not necessarily the case. Now, in, in relation to J Jerusalem, Jerusalem is still Jerusalem. All right, we don't need to go to Jerusalem. We don't need to go to Samaria. The whole point there was, this is what the gospel, this is what will happen. And when Jesus said to his disciples, you will be witnesses to these places, you could say, yeah, it was a command. This is what you will do. But it was also prophetic. It spread to, onto the uttermost part of the earth. How do we know? Well, there's mission work going on in Alaska. It's kind of hard to find uh, uttermost part more than that. So again, how do we disciple in Royal Oak, Michigan? I see a lot of parents here. You have moms and dads. You've got a great mission field just in your household, and there's nothing they can do about it. You know? So are you teaching them? The church is important, but don't ever say the church has, has the spiritual well-being of my children. I don't have to worry about that. Don't take the back seat. Your children are your mission field. And obviously, we have a lot of people who work here. Yes, so obviously, go to your workplace, and people will see your lifestyle. They'll say, what's going on? And you can give them the reason of your hope that is within you, with meekness and fear, of course. But we also have some good old veteran Christians who have, who have paid their dues and have served. There's a place for you as well. In Titus, uh, in the book of Titus, Paul tells Titus, the older are to instruct the younger. You have wisdom that you need to pass on to the other younger disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, you need to commit the same things to faithful men that will be able to teach others also. So as a church, we can disciple within the church and outside of the church. We help people to become followers of God, followers of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Everybody here has a role. My home church in Belleville, their, their slogan, their, their motto, if you will, is every member a minister. And that's the way we ought to operate. Because we have new life in Christ. And so this new life, you see, as, new, as people who have new life in Christ, we have a new community. That's the church. And the church does have that responsibility that Christ did to seek and save the lost. So we ought to bring people to the cross of Christ. So how do we do that in Royal Oak, Michigan? I don't fully know how you guys must specifically do that. I've been in South Carolina for the past five months. But we know that this is our responsibility because we have new life in Christ. So, therefore, keep going. Keep reaching the lost. Keep being disciple makers, just as you yourselves are disciples. Let's go ahead and bow for prayer. We come before you, Father, broken in our failings to seek and save the lost as your son, Christ, had done so. And so we, we thank you for being a merciful God and patient with us, though we fail so many times to do what you have passed on for us to do. Help us to faithfully share your gospel to, to others, 
that we may see people being baptized and learning and growing and nurturing as disciples. Uh, may this be our heart's cry and not necessarily something else that will take us aside. Let not our work be our idol. Let not our hobbies be our idol. But let us be forever consumed with, with our new life in your Son, Jesus Christ, that we may be the disciple-makers that you have called us to be. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.